Welcome to the Self Talk Radio Show. Mind Changing Radio. Welcome to Self Talk Radio Show. I'm Sarah Spencer, and my next guest has written the book, I Got There. And this is a book that I love and a book that I hate at the same time. I hate that he had to go through all of this adversity in order to become the multimillionaire that he is today. J.T. McCormick's childhood will resonate with those of us who had to do single parenting. It is heartbreaking when you see your child looking out the window, waiting for the parent that promised they'd come to pick him up that never arrives. The phone call on the birthday that never comes. The Christmas presents that you have to label Santa or from mom or from dad when mom and dad might not even be there. J.T. McCormick went through unspeakable adversity in his childhood. He went through poverty, abuse, discrimination, and as an adult, J.T. added a new theme to the mix, which we love to talk about, success. This is the story of how J.T. McCormick went from the slums of Dayton, Ohio, to being the top CEO of a multi-million dollar publishing startup. This, in his words, the story of how he got there. J.T. McCormick, thank you so much for being on Self Talk Radio Show. Now, a lot of the themes in the book are absolutely overcoming fear. You had some terrifying things happen to you. How did you get through your fear? How'd you break through that? It, it, is, it is. You know, you, you said something there that really stands out. You said fear, and and I love the the quote. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself, mm-hmm. because you know I. I live by, and it's funny, I feel like I'm repeating myself because you, you read the book, but I just live by the fact that it's, you only fell if you stop trying. If you stop trying, you fell. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that's the motto I, I live by. If you set a goal and you didn't hit the goal, well, you only fell if you stop looking to attain or achieve the goal. Reset right. the goal and still go get it. There were certain times where I was reading the book, I'm like, hmm, I don't know what this is, but I'm just going to just keep rolling. And, you know, I'm like, and then I, I looked at Vin and I said, I, talk about country mouse meeting the city mouse. I mean, I'm basically muck 20 stalls a day and call, you know, come to the radio station. That's what I do. And your world is so different. So, yeah, but it's, but the thing that was so nice is there's so many similarities and you just don't give up and neither did your mother. And I think that's what is so awesome about the whole story. Now we, you have book in a box. How did you, how did you get involved with book in a box? <laughs> so, so I, I will try to give you the convinced version so I don't bore you, but um, when I was the president of the software company, I, I was there, and, and we grew the company. When I started with the software company, bear with me. I'll give you the, the, the whole story, but I'll make it quick. When I started with the software company, I was employee number 13. I was the lowest-paid person at the software company. And we would make our calls off of fold-out metal chairs in the storage closet because that's how small we were. <laughs> and over the course of four and a half years, five years, I went from lowest paid person to president of the software company. We grew the company to well over 100 people, and we ended up with offices uh, throughout Texas and one in Monterey, Mexico. So we had a great run, uh, built the company. But truth be told, I don't write software, so I wasn't passionate about it. 
so I was traveling a lot, and I reached out to my LinkedIn network, and I said, hey, is there anyone who can help me write my book? I, I want to write a book for my children. And so I got introduced to the two co-founders of uh, Book in a Box, Tucker Max and, and Zach Obron. And I, I give you the funny story here. I did not know who Tucker Max was. So on the email, it said, JT, this is Tucker. Tucker, this is JT. But the person making the introduction in a separate email says, hey, JT, that's the real Tucker Max. Well, I didn't know who Tucker Max was. So I emailed back uh, Jason, who introduced me, and said, hey, I'm the real JT McCormick. What's up? <laughs> and so because I didn't know who he was. And so one thing led to another, and I'll fast forward. Um Tucker comes over to the office. We, we talk about my story. I said, look, I don't care if this book ever sells a copy. I don't intend to make it public. I'm writing this book for my children. If, if something happened to me, they would not know where I come from. They would, not, they, they would never know that we don't know where our last name comes from. So I'm doing this as a legacy piece. So we wrap up, and Tucker said, wow, man, you, you've built a, a great company here. And I go, well, it wasn't me. It was a combination of a lot of people who, you know, put in a ton of effort to, to build this company. And so he says, as you're going through our process, will you give me feedback on, on our process? I say, yeah, sure. Not, not a problem. So I get my first email from Book in a Box and I call up Tucker and I say, hey, do you still want that feedback? And he says, yes. I said, okay, great. This over here, this is excellent. Keep doing this. Keep doing that. This is phenomenal. Over here, stop this immediately. Don't know why you ever thought this was going to work, and what the hell were you thinking here? <laughs> and he says, you got all that from an email. And I go, sure did. And he goes, wow, would you sit on our advisory board? One thing led to another. I wake up one day, I'm, I'm president and CEO of Book in the Box. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, do yeah, they do? So they came, they, I, I came to them to write my book. And ended up loving the process, loving the company, what they stood for, uh, becoming the, the, the CEO, because I just, I'm very passionate about what we do. I can't tell you an adverb from a pronoun. I damn sure can't spell. Um, I went to schools where we weren't even allowed to take our books home in the evening, and here I am you know, 46 years old, God bless America, I, I'm the, the CEO of a publishing company. Who knew? Yeah, yeah, no, so that, yeah, to, to your point, that, that's how, uh, oddly enough, my, my book is called I, I, I Got Here, and, and, and but that's how I got here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so your story begins with your childhood in Dayton, so talk about your dad and how did he impact you? You know, some people, I believe this may rub them the wrong way, but I've lived my entire life, in, and I'll continue to live my life, in always looking for the positives within in a negative situation. And sometimes, sometimes they're hard to find, but if, if you search hard enough, the, the positives are there. And with, with my father... I just, I look for those things that I could transfer over to me in life. And what, what I mean by that, and some people this really rubs them the wrong way, there's a certain gift of persuasion and communication one must have in order to be a pimp 
and convince a woman to go stand on a corner, regardless if it's summer, winter, spring, or fall, sell herself, and bring all the money back to that individual. There's a certain aspect of persuasion that comes with that. And so I noticed as a kid on those rare occasions when my father would pick me up, how much everyone loved him, man or woman. He, he couldn't drive down the street more than five minutes without someone waving or wanting to shake his hand or lean into the car. And so I paid attention to those things. And, and one of the harsh stories, uh, you know, from, from the book, not the way I want to teach my children, but it was very impactful for me. The, the particular story when we're walking through the grocery store, one of these rare re- weekends he picked me up, a little girl says hello to me. She says, hello, Javon, and, and Javon's my real name. And I didn't say anything, and I just kind of dropped my head and looked down. I didn't, didn't acknowledge her. And out of nowhere, I feel this massive blow to the back of my head, and the next thing I know, I'm, my head hits the, the, the ground and my nose is bleeding, and now I'm pinned up against the frozen food section with a forearm in my neck, and it's my father. And he looks at me, and he says, I don't care who it is, you say hello to everyone. You show respect to everyone. And it's the damnedest thing that my father was a pimp and was telling me to respect everyone, <laughs> but the lesson up with me. And to this day, I say hello to everyone. And in fact, I treat service people, waiters, waitresses, uh, housekeeping at, at a hotel. I, I treat those individuals in the service industry better than I, I treat C-suite executives. So to this day, I, I speak to everyone. Yeah. And it's important too. And especially you've come from the place of you watched your mother uh, come from a place of working her, to the bone. When when you come from that background, you have a lot more respect for waiters, waitresses, people in the service industry than the average bear does, and it and it does pay dividends definitely. Definitely, definitely. It's it's interesting. Not not to go too far off topic here, but I find it just incredibly mind-blowing, if you will. If you and I go to a restaurant tonight and we, we get our, our, our bill, we tip, you know, 15, 18, 20, 25%, whatever you, you tip, we, we tip that waiter for bringing out our food. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not looking down on anyone's profession or what they do, but they bring out our food, they bring out our drinks, they take our order. Okay, great. But what I find absolutely amazing is that we don't tip housekeeping staff in hotels. These people clean the restroom, the, the, the toilet that we sit on. They clean the shower that we take a shower in to clean our dirty bodies. They make our bed, but we don't tip them. And I'm, I'm mind blown by that. So I always make sure that I tip housekeeping because many of them are making minimum wage, $10, $12 an hour. And you talk about thankless job. So, yeah, I, I'm... <laughs> Like I said, I don't want to go too far off, but that, that always, I'm mind blown by who we decide to tip and not tip. Well, especially seeing as one of your first jobs was cleaning toilets, right? So you have, you <laughs> exactly. have, you have some perspective on that, right? <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I have a great uh, appreciation for those who clean toilets. <laughs> <laughs> now, your mother seemed to be the glue that really hold, 
held things together. But there was a time that you were separated from your mom. What, what happened with that? So, yeah, you're, you're correct. My, my mother was the glue, and I, I have my mother's last name. My, my mother was raised in an orphanage, old school, 1950s institution. You know, never saw the outside of those four walls. And you can only imagine the neglect and abuse that went on inside those four walls. And so I have my mother's last name, but we don't know where the last name comes from. My mother has no clue how she got the last name or where it came from. But when my mother had me, my my parents were never married because my mother never had anything in her life, no family, no possessions. Now she had this son that, truth be told, she should have never have had me. But she had this son, and she made sure she gave me her last name because at the end of the day, I'm really all she had in this world. And so she was was the glue. You know, my my mother loved me. Uh, She did her best to take care of me. But in many ways, we were learning things at the exact same time. There were things that she learned that I was four years old that she was learning and I was learning at the exact same time. But the first eight, nine years of my life, yeah, we were poor, we, we struggled, we didn't have money at times, the electricity was cut off at times, went to bed hungry at times, but, you know, I, I was loved, and I knew I was loved, but good God, when I went off with my father at, at nine years old, all hell broke loose, and that's where, I would say, between the ages of nine and 13, even, even going into to 15, it was just utter chaos uh, of the the childhood that I had. Now, why did you have to leave your mom? So, so I, I, I guess technically did not have to leave my mom. What what ended up happening is my mother was facing prison time for uh, what they called welfare fraud. So my mother was working under the table, but she was also accepting uh, welfare, and I, I guess. You know, that was a no-no or still is. I'm not sure. But lo and behold, one of the caseworkers that was going to sentence my mother, my dad knew them from his business dealings of prostitutes and and drugs. And so the caseworker said, okay, we won't send her to prison, but she has to leave the state and she can never come back. So they sent me to Texas first. To, to stay with my dad in Houston, and I went down there to to stay with my dad, and that's how I ended up with him originally until my mother came to Texas. I still stayed with my father when my dad, uh, when, when she got to Texas, but fast forward there, not to be too confusing, my dad was in Texas because he was trying to, quote-unquote, get out of the game, the, the hustle game of drug dealing and, and pimping, but it, it just called him back, and he went back to Dayton, and one day he just up and said, I, I'm out, and he went to Dayton, and I was living with one of his uh, prostitutes who they had now had you know, two kids together, and so I'm living with the, the, the prostitute. My mother is living in Texas, but I'm not with her. Well, then one day the prostitute just says, okay, we're going back to Dayton as well, and we up and leave. And no one ever told my mother I was going back, so I left, and my mother had no clue where I was. 
We're speaking with J.T. McCormick. He's a multimillionaire, CEO, and author of I Got There. And up next, he's going to talk about Uncle Bobby time, how that taught him a lesson that he lives by today, and also the impact of being from a white mother, a black father, living as a racially mixed child, and how racial profiling actually he saw as a positive. His optimism is inspiring. We'll hear more from J.T. McCormick next on Self Talk Radio Show. Can't sleep? Try this. Sleep Meditation offers soothing meditations to help you sleep like a baby and awaken what's inside. All you have to do is choose the meditation you want to listen to from our library at sleepmeditation.org. Click play and enjoy. If you want to keep the recording, purchase the downloads you want. Plus, Sleep Meditation offers specials on motivational pieces that help you start positive change, stop bad habits, or sleep like a baby. Sleepmeditation.org. We're speaking with J.T. McCormick. He is the author of I Got There on Self Talk Radio Show. So then you you talk about UBT. We talked about it earlier, Uncle Bobby, an Uncle Bobby time. Can you share uh, how you got connected with Uncle Bobby and his impact on your your life? So, So I only lived with my Uncle Bobby for a very short time. It was about 18 months that I, I was with him. But... I'll, I'll fast forward to, to UBT time. My Uncle Bobby really was the person who taught me structure. Uh, he was a very uh, a God-fearing man. We went to church on Sundays. We did Bible study on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and that's just the way it was. And Uncle Bobby was one of these individuals who, when he said something, he meant it, and he followed through. And so he taught me structure. He taught, taught me discipline. He taught me to follow through on your word, so that 18 months that he had me were, it was just incredibly impactful for me at at the age of of 13 years old. But one Friday night, we're going, uh, we're leaving on Saturday to church vacation, and my Uncle Bobby says, okay, Saturday morning, we're leaving at 10 a.m. Sharp. And when my Uncle Bobby said something, he followed through. And so the next morning comes around, it's about 9.15, and my aunt says, hey, Bobby, I'm going to run up to the store and get those, those mixed nuts that you like. And he says, no, you're not. You forgot something, and you're, you're trying to make it look like you're going for me. He goes, I'm leaving here at 10 a.m. So 10 minutes, 10 till 10 comes around, and my Uncle Bobby says, okay, let's go ahead and uh, get ready to go. And I'm like, oh, damn. They're, they're not back. So I run down to the end of the driveway. I look, and I'm like, man, where are they going? I say, hey, Uncle Bobby, I'm going to run upstairs. I'm going to get my football. And he goes, I know what you're doing, son. I'm leaving here at 10 o'clock. I come down. He looks at his watch. It's 10 o'clock. He says, okay, get in. We get in, and we leave. We leave my aunt and my cousins, and we head off on, on the, the irony, church vacation. <laughs> and so we were driving off. And quickly, I just forget about my my aunts and cousins because this is the first time I've even done anything remotely called vacation. I didn't even know what vacation was at this point. Wow. So, and this is back in the early 80s when there were no cell phones, there was no email, there was, so we were gone. And so we get to our destination, uh, we, we check in, we walk around. And lo and behold, who shows up about three hours later? My aunt and my cousins. 
So my aunt's livid, and she's in my Uncle Bobby's face. She's going at him, and my Uncle Bobby's just standing there taking it. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is interesting. So I'm watching. She's going five minutes. She stops. And my Uncle Bobby looks at her and says, are you finished? She said, yes. He goes, I said, 10 o'clock. It's calm as day, and that's how my (laughs) Uncle Bobby was. If he said it, he meant it. So much so, he left his damn family to go on church vacation at 10 o'clock. And that, for me, is the story I took from life, one of the stories from Uncle Bobby, that if you say something, you follow through. And he always said, if you're on time, you're late. If you're five minutes early, you're on time. (laughs) UBT time. (laughs) UBT time. And so I've... That's how I live, and that story stuck with me. And, and to your point at the very beginning, I've always just looked at life of, okay, what's the positive from the negative? I would never leave my family to, to go on no. uh, church vacation, but the positive that I took from that story is be on time. Yeah, and structure. And, yes. you know, really being disciplined. I, I see that, but discipline. He, Uncle Bobby was disciplined to the extreme, and then your father taught you how to be respectful to everyone and acknowledge everyone who comes in your way, although his methodologies were a little rough, to say the least. But those were the, the things that you learned. And your mom was the glue, and she gave you the love and the balance that you needed, although it must have been challenging being a child, being raised. Literally, she was like a child. She was an orphan. She really didn't have the connection it's miraculous that she was able to connect with you as well as she did in all that time. You know, the, the hardest things that I look back in my life, so many people, I, I'm often asked the question, would you change anything? And for me personally, uh, regardless of the, the, the sexual molestation, regardless of being in and out of juvenile, uh, regardless of the things that I saw, I would not change anything for myself. I would have changed two things. One, I would have changed things for my mother to where she wouldn't have had to struggle so much financially, and I would have changed things for three of my half-brothers and sisters because I went through, if, if I went through hell, they went through hell's father and parents, because it was way worse than anything that, that I went through. So I would never change anything for myself, other, but I would change things for my, my mother financially and my, my half-brothers. And I, I can only imagine, going back to my mother with, with what you said, one of the, the things that always stuck out was, here was this white woman who had a mixed-race child, and the way she was treated was just, it was horrific. I, I remember coming home off of the bus one day with, with my mother. We always rode the city bus. Uh, she didn't learn how to drive so she was 35. And so we're walking towards our apartment, um, public housing, nice word for projects. And so we're, <laughs> we're walking up, and we see all of our belongings out on the curb. And we're like, what? What's going on? And I, I was five. And so as we get up to the apartment, and we, we see our, all of our belongings, the landlord comes running out of the house, goes right into my mother's face, and says, no nigger lovers can live here. And I just remember saying to myself, wow, I'm five, we don't have any money, we don't have any family, and we don't have any place to go. What are we going to do? And to this day, I don't know what we did, 
but I do remember sitting on the curb next to my mother with her holding me and, and us crying, and that was it. And, and I, I just sit back and I think about how hard that must have been back in the 70s when mixed race relationships were so frowned upon. You know, I, I remember personally being called zebra, Oreo cookie, chocolate and vanilla swirl, you know, put your cliche mixed comment in there. But I can't imagine what that was like was like for my mother. And that also impacted you as far as your name. And, and you know, I was reading, when I read in your book why you changed your name from Javon to JT, I was so sad. It, it was, my name means everything to me, and I wouldn't want to have to change it for anybody. It's like, this is who I am. And for you to change to from Javon to JT, it opened more doors for you, correct? It, it did. You know, there's, there's a piece in the book and it's my, what I call my favorite and most freeing part of, of that entire book. And the reason why is because my, my wife said it best. I spent a life being a, a, a chameleon. There, because of my skin color and some of my features, you don't always know what I am. Some people have thought I was Puerto Rican. I've been mistaken for Italian. When I lived in San Antonio, you thought I was Mexican. And so no one really knew who I was. I always grew up uh, in the business world, and, you know, I, I don't have a college degree. I barely have a high school diploma. So... You know, there's people out there who may have felt misled. There's people out there who may feel like, well, damn, I thought JT was, was Puerto Rican and, and had a, uh, an MBA. No, I don't. And, but I was whatever I needed to be to get wherever I wanted to go. And it sucked at times because I couldn't be Javon McCormick because you're going to judge that person the minute you hear that name, Javon. You, you've already you've already made a judgment. True. But if I was J.T. McCormick, you didn't know who that was. And so I gave myself a shot at you focusing on my character and my work ethic long before you got into my skin color and name and all of that stuff. So I've spent a lifetime not wanting people to know I had a black pimp father, not wanting people to know that, I don't have a college degree, not wanting people to know that I struggled mightily in relationships. I was a monster in, in relationships and because in many ways, I, no one ever taught me anything, and so I didn't know how to act. And now I'm fortunate. I've got a phenomenal wife, children, and you know, here I am. But, yeah, I, I've spent a lifetime, at least the first 45 years, it being what I needed to be to get where I wanted to go. Yeah, you, you know, I really relate to that. I, I was, I was on a TV show. I mean, I'm, I'm. <laughs> that sounds stupid because I really relate to that because I'm about as white as they come. But I am a woman, <laughs> you know. So that you know, forgive my stupid comment there. But I am a woman, and I had won an award or something for my business, and I was on a TV show. I was being interviewed, and she said, uh, "How." how is it hard to have a business as a woman? And I said, well, it's hard to have a business regardless of whether you're a woman or a man or a zebra. I, I said, you, you have to work hard for a business and you have to have vision and you have to have people that you have to be unshakable. 
And that's the traits that you need to have as an entrepreneur, whether you're a woman or you're a man or black or white. It's a matter of your character. And I'm so pleased to hear you say that. And yeah, there are challenges that come with being a a woman entrepreneur, as there are challenges that you have faced with racism that's come up. But one of the moments that I enjoyed in your book was when you talked about being stopped for racial profiling in Oregon. And you said that being racially profiled was a gift for you. Can you talk more about that? It, it was. It was. It was interesting. I had always been looked at, you know, mixed race. Like I said, zebra, Oreo cookie. I had heard all that right. crap growing up, so that wasn't anything new to me. But I had never actually experienced racial profiling before. And so here I am in Portland, Oregon, and I loved it. I just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I had never smelled clean air that clean. I had never seen such a clean place, the mountains, the trees. You're an hour from the mountains. You're an hour from the coast. It was just such a beautiful place. I I still love it there. And I lived in a suburb of Portland called Lake Oswego. And unbeknown to me, the nickname of this place, and, and, and I apologize to, to all the residents of Lake Oswego because I still love it there, and I, I'm going to buy a second home there one day. But the nickname, at least when I lived there, was Lake No Negro. And so oh, no. I did not understand. I was like, oh, wow, that, that's interesting. And so I got pulled over one day by a police officer, and he asked me, he goes, what, what are you doing here? And I go, well, I, I live up the hill right there. And, he, and I remember he said, are you sure? And I go, well, yeah, <laughs> there's my address on my ID. And so that was the first time I really understood racial profiling and what all it consisted of. But it changed me because I said to myself, okay, you know what? I'm just going to work harder improve I do belong. Yeah. Regardless of my, my skin color, like I said, I've always wanted to be judged on my character and my work ethic. Yes. I've grown up where I, I've said this to so many people that I know everyone's not going to like me. You know, so many people struggle with if someone doesn't like them, it just it shakes the world. Well, the blessing and the positive that I got was I've grown up with people not liking me since day one. So I've learned early on, you will never be able to make everyone like you, and you will never be able to please everyone. So all I've ever wanted to be judged on are are three things. My character, do I respect and treat everyone kind? My work ethic, well, am I willing to outwork everyone? And then lastly, do I dress nice? (laughs) (laughs) As so I stand here with that, my... I, I don't really care what you think of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as I stand here with my muck boots on, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you dress nice, JT. But, um, Thanks, <laughs> so, and it's important, especially if you're in sales, because, you know, people do make their judgments about you in the first 10 seconds that they, that they meet you. And, you oh, know... Wait regardless of whether we want to or not, we are making a judgment. If we're engaging with someone for the first time, 
you know, and, and having that first impression and that appearance is everything, especially with what you do, JT, which is selling and selling is a, actually you do more than sell. You influence is, is really what you do. Yeah, it, it is. It, it, the way you conduct yourself, how you shake hands, how you engage, the, the way you dress, like I said, it's, it, it's, to steal from Martin Luther King, uh, I, I just wanted to be judged by the content of my, my character, not the color of my skin. And, and because especially for me, I've had people, you know, again, this, this offends some people, but when someone says racism, I'm of the mindset of, and, and excuse me if you, you have to edit this, but kiss my ass, because <laughs> you, in many ways you don't know racism until black people don't like you because you're half white, white people don't like you because you're half black, yeah. and you've got nowhere to fit in. And so as a kid, you're just jumping in the circle because you've got no one to play with. Right. Right. That's true. You also talk about mentoring um, boys in a halfway house. And so you bring that element to these young boys. Can you talk more about that? So, yes, it, be at the halfway house low economic communities, schools, I, I do my best to, to mentor or go back and speak to the, that, that economic class of which I came from. And, and it's not a race of economic class. It's white, black, brown, yeah. you, you name it. You know, poor is poor. Yep. Poor doesn't discriminate. Right. And so what, what I have found this this immense responsibility. When I was a kid, the only avenues I knew out of the hood were rapper, athlete, and drug dealer. Well, I wasn't going to be good at any of those. So I did, no one ever told me of this fourth option. No one ever said, hey, there's business. Hey, you can be a pharmaceutical rep. Hey, you can be a wealth advisor. And God knows no one ever said entrepreneur, because had you said that, I would have thought you were speaking French. So <laughs> it, it's those avenues, you don't know what you don't know. So one of the most impactful things that has ever happened to me in my life is when I had the, the awesome um, uh, ability to bring those, those boys from the halfway house and show them the software office that, that I worked in. And they were able to see multiple uh, monitors, laptops, code written on whiteboards. They were able to see an office environment. And, I, and it hit me, and I realized so many times in life, it's not what you tell someone, but it's also what you can show someone. Because if you can show me an office space, if you can show me something that I've never seen, you can give me something to aspire to. We, we talk about kids wanting to go to college. Well, if I've never even gotten to tour a college campus, I don't know what I'm aspiring to. Right. If all I know is the hood in, in, in this, you know, poor drug dealers, uh, uh, drugs, being broke. If that's all I know, the percentages are so high, I'm going to stay there. And it's not just because these are my surroundings. It's because I don't know what's possible. So it was it was so moving for me. I remember I cried to, to my wife just to see those boys light up and see a, a, a massive conference room with drop-down screens and to be able to play 
uh, Xbox on those screens and bring pizza in just so they could see an office environment and know, hey, this is possible. And to know that you impacted that kid for the rest of their life. You know, even even in just a moment, even shaking their hand, looking them in the eye, showing them respect, a lot of these kids don't ever see that in their world. And, and no, that, it, 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 you're, you're 100% correct, and that, that's where I just feel that I have this immense responsibility that no one told me about the fourth option, so I, I, I've just... I, I covet it. I value the responsibility to to go back and let the, all kids know you can you can do this. There is a way out of here. There there is this fourth option that's called business, and these bastards didn't tell us about it. <laughs> right, right. And it's not so much about a college degree. It's not so much about where you came from. It's what you do with what you've got. And I think that was my big takeaway with your book. I got there. It's it's an amazing book, JT. I could, I, I had to put it down the first few chapters because it emotionally hit me so hard. But it is such a great, wise book on business and on conducting yourself and on selling and influencing people to get what you want. I mean, that's that's what sales is, is if you can influence people and you learn those lessons through your life because you had to to survive. And, oh, that's one thing I wanted to ask you, too, because you got to these echelons. You know, you worked with Mr. Gentry and, and worked on a, a, I think it was payday. It was a, oh, what do they call payday it? Payday loans. Thank you, yeah. payday loans. And so you're doing that for a while, made some good money. And did that sort of ethically just hit you in the stomach after a while? You know, the, the moment that, stood, that, that really jumped out to me, uh, that stood out, one, to this day, I am so grateful for Mr. Gentry and him cracking the door for me. And why, and why I say cracking the door for me is no, no one has ever given me an opportunity, a few people have cracked the door for me and left the op- left it open for me to kick it in and make the most of my own opportunity. So I, I'm very, I'm passionate about that because no one ever gave me anything. It, it, I, I went and I worked for it. And if you left the door cracked open, I was kicking it the rest of the way in and going to make the most of anything that was available to me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm very, very thankful for, for Mr. Gentry. I was a 23-year-old kid with a horrific background, and he gave me the opportunity to move to Portland, Oregon, and manage uh, payday loan offices. And, and I loved it, and I was so good at it, and, and renewing people and giving out loans and collecting on the loans. But one day, this, this white mother and this little mixed little boy came into the office, and it was slow motion. It looked like my mother and me walking into this place, and the lady was borrowing $100, uh-huh. and it hit me. If you have to borrow $100, how in the hell are you going to pay it back? And because if, if funds are that tight for you, it's going to be hard for you to pay that back. And I just, it hit me like, wow, this is a vicious cycle that yeah. people get stuck in. And then they come back in and you've got 
a person like me convincing you to renew the loan and, and stay in the vicious cycle. And I, 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 I say this with all sincerity. I love Mr. Gentry. He gave me a, a just – cracking that door open for me was one of the greatest things he, he ever did because it really allowed me to understand business. But I just couldn't go down that path anymore. And I, right. I remember I, I resigned shortly thereafter. Uh, I saw that lady and that, that little boy. But it, it, it emotionally it hit me because I thought about me and my mom and, and how much we struggled and how much $100 would have helped us and, and changed our month. So that was a, a defining moment. And I said, I said this in the book, uh, just because it's legal doesn't make it right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And and we face those ethical things throughout life. I mean, I, I worked for a few jobs that ethically I had a, a real disconnect with, but it was paying my bills. And there came a point where I, I couldn't do it anymore. I just, you know, I love the people I worked with. I enjoyed it, but it, it was totally against everything I believed in. And you have to make those choices sometimes in life. And, you know, that's really tough. Now, there was a point where you made a lot of money and then you lost it all. How did you, (laughs) (laughs) I really want to hear this. I mean, did you, did your credit score go belly up? How did you, how'd you crawl out of that hole? Oh, wow. With with one of the few times that you will, will hear me say with uh, a lot of help, um, I remember being broke. I remember living in this little apartment, and I, I mean, I'm talking broke, lost every beyond broke. I was negative broke. Mm. Uh, my stepfather had to loan me money. My best friend from uh, the time we were 14 had to pay my rent uh, a couple of times for me, and that was a, a in many ways, it was a great moment. Like I said, I find the, the positive and the negative. I spent five years, the next five years, I never bought anything new. And I immersed myself in deeper into investments, uh, leadership, companies, structure. It, it's, it's amazing the things that you can find on the, the Internet. You know, company uh, quarterly reports, annual reports, everything and anything is on the Internet. And I just spent five years studying, and I did. I bought nothing new, probably way more than people want to know, but no new underwear, no new socks, no new T-shirts, nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I ate, I went to the gym, and I studied, and I had my, my little job, and, and that was it. And, but, yeah, I went, went broke. What was, what was a book? <laughs> what, what book did you read that inspired you most, or what was the thing that you studied that you were like, oh, wow, this, this is awesome? You know, in in my opinion, I'll tell you what I discovered is the greatest invention in the history of man, in my opinion, is compound interest. Not fire, not the wheel, compound interest is is the greatest invention ever. That along with um, equities. I I was fascinated that you can take $100, invest it into a stock, and turn it into $200. You know, you, you look at these individuals, let's take Bill Gates. Bill Gates developed, you know, uh, software. Michael Dell, you know, made laptops. You have people who invented certain things, Steve Jobs. What I was fascinated with was someone like Warren Buffett. He didn't invent anything. He, 
he didn't create anything. He invested a certain amount of money, and it made more money. And that fascinated me that you could do this and not have to actually invent anything. And, and I've always had a, a deep love affair with, with stocks, equities, companies, decision-making of, of leaders. And so I just immersed myself with, with studying. It wasn't one particular book. It was all of it that, that I would just study anything and everything I could get my hands on. And, and I still do that. Wow, that's fantastic. J.T. McCormick has been my guest. The book is I Got There. Highly, highly recommend this book. It is a fast read, I'll tell you. I loved it. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. J.T., if people want to know more about uh, Book in a Box uh, or buying your book, I Got There, can they get I Got There on Amazon? You can get the book on Amazon, and then the, the, our company is bookinabox.com. You can find out more about it there. And, and I, I have to leave you with this, Sarah. I cannot tell you how much I truly appreciate you having me on, on the show. I, I look at my life, I look at where I am, and I'm grateful every day that, that I wake up. And never in a million years could anyone have ever told me that I would be on a show such as yours telling my story of working hard and just believing that I can achieve any goal that, that's out there. So I, I thank you so much for, for having me on. Very, very humbling and, and a true honor. Oh, thank you, JT. It's a pleasure having you on the show. Are you going to be doing any seminars or uh, mentoring of people coming up? Because I, I was reading the book and it just screams for, you know, I, I, I was like, where's his seminar? Where's he teaching? <laughs> that was really I, you know, what was... I, I've, I've been doing some more uh, speaking. I'll be doing more speaking throughout the, the year of 2018. And I'm still big on, on giving back. Uh, especially we do a backpack drive. Uh, I'm big on giving, you know, kids at least the opportunity. There's nothing worse than I, I remember being a kid and sitting there and not having the school supplies necessary to even try to, to be a, a good student. And so I'm big on uh, doing backpack drives filled with, with all the supplies that kids need. Uh, I'm still huge on giving back to communities. And so I'll be doing more speaking in 2018, but I'll also, uh, I, I would say over the next two years, we, we've got some other things we're working on and trying to put together foundation for, for children and, and giving back. I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about uh, children because you, children didn't ask for their situations. That's just the cards they were dealt. And so I, I have respect for adults, but as adults, we, we get to choose some of the things that we want to do. Children don't have a choice, and so I'm very passionate about giving back to children. Wow. Thank you so much. J.T. McCormick, the book is I Got There. You can check uh, links on selftalkradioshow.com. We'll definitely have those there. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Sarah. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm Sarah Spencer with Self Talk Radio Show.